Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Jeremiah chapter number 2 and verse number 5, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me? And this is the key phrase here that we have been concentrating on and have walked after vanity, which can mean emptiness or nothingness and are become vain. They have walked after vanity and have become vain. And the essence of the, uh, the, the phrase there is this basically what they followed after is what they became. What they followed after is what they became. And so we've been talking for the past several weeks, and it's been kind of a hit and miss with us being here or not being here, as far as me personally, uh, talking about mere image, mere image. So I'm going to pray this morning, ask the Lord to help us, and then uh, you may be seated today. Father, I come to you today. We're so grateful, Lord Jesus, to be able to center our lives once again around your word. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help our understanding, God, in this endeavor. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, minister, God, to our lives, instruct us. God, use us, oh Lord, for your purpose and your glory, and we're thankful today, God, for those that are here, Lord, and our guests as well. God, we'll fail not to thank you and praise you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. What we've considered over the past several uh, lessons over these different weeks, we have considered the subject matter of adultery. Adultery. Not adultery, but adultery. Because we've seen that a person will become whatever it is that they respect or revere or, according to the word, even worship. Uh, we looked through some of the chapters of Isaiah 6, and we also uh, went through some of the Psalms of Psalms 115 passages, each of them that told us that uh, both the idol and the idol worshipers had some peculiar attributes, and that is this. They had eyes, but they could not see, and ears that they could not hear. Both the idols that were made by men and worshipped by men had eyes, but they couldn't see, ears, and they couldn't hear. And then you've seen that also reflected then in the life of those that worshipped them or revered them. They had eyes, not in a literal sense. Uh, they had eyes they could see with and ears they could hear with in a literal sense. But in the spiritual sense, they had eyes and they couldn't see and ears they couldn't hear. They, they could not understand. And so we looked at some other things like in Exodus 32. We looked at a... Uh, uh, high watermark, if you want to call it that, a benchmark whenever an idol uh, was introduced into the children of Israel after they had their deliverance from Egypt. The Bible says that they were waiting on Moses to come down from a mountain there. And as they waited, they thought that he was taking too long. And Aaron asked for their gold, and it gave it to him. And he, he kind of describes it as this. I just kind of threw it in the furnace, and out came this calf. That's what I would say, too, if I was doing something I shouldn't be doing. It's just like it just kind of happened. And he said, I kind of put it in, and out came this calf. And as a result of it, uh, the nation of Israel began to worship this calf. They fall down to it. They bowed to it. They offered sacrifices and offerings to this calf. But from the very beginning, this was not the intended plan of God, by no means. The Lord intended to be the one that his nation of people, Israel, were to worship and serve and revere and have awe and respect for and adore. And although that was not his intended purpose, it seems to, over time, 
all the way from the beginning even to now, to be something that we as humans struggle with. And we'll look at it just a little bit later today. I know someone might be thinking in the back of their mind, uh, Pastor McGee, I don't have you know, some goat and calf in my uh, living room and I don't have some uh, totem pole idol in my kitchen, so on and so forth. Uh, But idols for us have changed somewhat from what they were then, but they are still idols. Again, the most basic definition of an idol, and I attribute this to my grandfather, uh, Junior Weisenberger, is anything that comes between you and God. Anything that comes between you and God. Because from the beginning, God's intended plan was for us to be made to mirror his image and his likeness. He made Adam and Eve like that in the Garden of Eden after his likeness, amen, and after his image. And so idolatry, for that matter, even didn't start uh, with the golden calf. That was in Exodus 32 that the nation fell prey to. Although in Scripture, it's that episode that's oftentimes referred back to whenever we talk about idolatry, even in the New Testament, that wasn't the first time where it started. In reality, idolatry started in the Garden of Eden. Idolatry started in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, of course, they didn't build something of wood. They didn't build something of stone. But they did allow a tree. They did allow a tree. To pull their affections. And even through the urging of the serpent to partake of the tree and you're not going to die. The urging of the serpent or the urging of the creature. In that moment their loyalty shifted from God. Who they daily had communion with. They daily had conversation and relationship. Their loyalty shifted from God to the serpent. And if you might even say the tree. Because they took that which God said do not take. And so they shifted right away. So the first family had, at first, this uninterrupted communication and relationship with God. But now, after shifting their loyalties, the Bible describes them as though they're isolated among the trees. They're hiding among the trees. Why? Because something had become between them and God. That suits our basic definition of an idol. Something had come between them and God. But God had a different plan. He really did for Adam and Eve. He had a different plan uh, for Israel. And Israel and us, still to this day, we struggle with what God's plan is for us. Just simply as is. We do struggle with what God's plan is for us. And so Israel fouled up the plan on several occasions. From Genesis to Revelation, they fouled it up. He intended for her, this is Old Testament, Exodus. He intended the nation of Israel, this is his words, not mine, to be unto him a kingdom of priests. He said, I want you to be a holy nation. I want you to be a kingdom of priests unto me. Now, to understand this just a little bit, the obligation or the responsibility of a priest in Old Testament times was on one twofold. They were either representing the people to God or they were representing God to the people. That was their position. They're either representing the people to God, because not everybody had access uh, at that time as it would be to the presence of the Lord. It was the priest that went in as a representation for the people. But it was that same priest that would come out to the nation and be a representation unto them of God. And so the priest then makes this God connection, either visible or verbal, amen, for all people. But since Israel fell into this pattern of being unfaithful to God, 
They mirrored not God because they weren't walking after him. You will become what you walk after. You will become what you worship. And since they were not walking after God and they became unfaithful to God uh, and they showed out, they were not mirroring God. And so as a result, if they were to be a kingdom of priests, he was wanting the nation of Israel to be a representation of him to the world. He's wanting the nation of Israel, if you will, to shine forth who he was to every other nation around about them. But when they were not following him, they could not represent him. When they were not following him, they could not represent him. And so there was that God connection for the world that was lost because of their idolatry, being unfaithful to the Lord. And so here's the thing. That's great for Israel, but even for us as the church in today's society, if we're not careful, the same can be lost for our world today if we're not remaining faithful with our allegiance unto the Lord. Amen. In order to reflect who he is, what he is, what he has the power to do, we are in many regards his representation in the earth today. Jesus, he ascended, he went away, right? But we are now his body, his hands, his feet, so to speak, in the earth. We are the, his representation in the earth today. The Bible says in Jeremiah 2 and verse number 11, hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods. That's a rhetorical question. The answer in the back of the minds of the readers that Jeremiah is hoping for is no. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people, he's talking about Israel, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Here was something very peculiar about Israel. Other nations, they didn't deny the gods they had. They just added other gods to their list of gods. If they served a God and there was another God, they didn't deny that God and go serve that God. They just added that God to their list of gods. He's now just a part of the family. You know, They just kind of adopted him in to what they would serve and what they would worship. Amen? But whenever we consider the nation of Israel, they did different for the most part, from other nations. Because when they were serving the Lord true God, it's not that they would that they would just add other gods to the list, but they would deny him and totally revert and exchange him for other gods. They would reject him. They would exchange him unlike the other nations that would just simply add other gods. But our Bible says that our God is a jealous God. Our God is a jealous God. And the New Testament clearly even tells us that no man can serve to what? Two masters or two gods or two beings. And so Israel, what Jeremiah is saying is Israel was somewhat worse than other nations around them because they would exchange their worship of the true God altogether for a false God. And they would reject the true God altogether for a false God. But here's the fact of the matter this morning. There is no neutrality with God. There is no neutrality with God. In the New Testament, whenever some of the disciples came to the Lord and said, Lord, there's someone over here casting out devils in your name. Uh, we need to go over there and shut the whole thing down. He says, listen, he said, if they are not against me, he said, they are for me. Well, God's saying there's no neutrality with me. In other words, you're either for him or you're against him. There's not a gray area concerning God. It's either for or it's against. G.K. Bill says it like this. He said, if one is not loving God, and not consequently being conformed to the image of God's Son, then one is loving some other earthly object of worship and consequently being conformed to his earthly image. 
That's really based on Romans 8, 28 and 29. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together. This is a, some, one of the favorite verses of Bishop. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom, for whom, who's the whom? Them that love God. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to what? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. In other words, those that love God are those that are predestined or determined or ordained to be conformed to the image of his son. Those that love him are ordained to become like him. Those that love him are ordained to be those that become like him. And so here's the thing that we process in our minds. If they are not similar to him or fashioned like him, at very least in the process of becoming, then they must not love God. There is a question then concerning their love because the lovers are the ones that are ordained for becoming like who he is. Amen. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. This is another verse some of you may know. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and be not what conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, I want you to present your bodies, and in doing so, I don't want you to be conformed to the world, but I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But you must present your bodies. Someone say amen. Now, presenting our bodies is, is in essence committing ourselves to God, right? Committing ourselves to God. If we are not committed to God, we are not committed to God, then we are devoted to something else. The old, the old saying used to be, or it's not a saying, it's a reality. Mankind was made and created in the beginning to worship. Worship. There is not a human being upon this earth that does not worship. The only difference is objects of worship, what we worship. Every individual is made to worship. We are in awe of something. Whether there's something that we revere and we honor, every single person. The object of our worship is what? Our object of worship is the Lord. Whenever you divert your object of worship to something else, then you will become whatever you worship. Amen. Our, our responsibility, our mandate through Scripture is that we'll follow him, commit ourselves to him, worship him, revere him, and honor him. Why? And in doing so, being a lover of him, we'll be conformed to the image of his son. And so if we're not committed to God, it's not that we're not committed to anything. We're committed to something. We're committed to something. Amen. We've got to be devoted to something else. In this case, he's saying, so don't be conformed to the world. He's drawn us away from that side. He said, because if you're devoted to the world, you'll become like the world. He says, you need to be conformed. You need to be transformed. You'll be like what you worship. We want, we want to be conformed to what we commit to. Or stated like this, we will conform to what we commit to. Let's put it in just general terms. 
a great, you know, the Olympics had, had just been going on and such. A great athlete's success is traced to her or his commitment to athleticism. Someone that became a great runner that's in the Olympics right now, you know why they're a great runner? They committed themselves to running. Someone that did well on the gymnastic floor or did well in swimming, you know why that they are great among some of our nation's best? It's because they committed that, committed themselves to that. And so what they committed themselves to, they conformed to. Some renowned artist, you want to go look at some Monet and Picasso and like, oh, and everybody's like, man, millions of dollars price on that. Why in the world? And how did they get so good? Because they committed themselves to be an artist or to artwork. And so they become what they diligently practiced. So if you ever, here's the fact, if you ever find someone illustrating the attributes of God well, it's probably because they committed themselves. To God, to love God. They presented their bodies to God. They've been a lover. And so they conformed to what they committed to. They conformed to what they committed to. You do not, there's there's not no uh, level of success or hitting that high watermark in anything in life unless you've committed yourself to it. It can be business. Great businessmen have committed themselves to business. The list, you can put whatever variables you want in there and it goes on and on. It's just, just level, you know, you know. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. And so we conform what we commit ourselves to. So if, if, again, if you want to be a great businessman, commit yourself to it. You want to be a great musician, commit yourself to music. If you desire to be a child of God, then commit yourself wholly unto God. Because you'll conform to what you commit to. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 in verse number 15, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, okay? Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined, the word joined there means he which is glued, he which is stuck to, he which keeps company with. An harlot is one body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. We heard that all the way back in Genesis, right? Uh, Eve's brought to Adam, these two shall become one. One flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So here's the apostle Paul. He's talking to a church at Corinth. He's talking to them. The subject matter here is sexual immorality. However, here let's connect some dots here. In the Old Testament, there's oftentimes the nation of Israel was spoken of as being a harlot. Or talked about being immoral. And it went beyond the literal act of sexual impurity. He was talking about them being unfaithful to God. He used sexual, the, the, the analogy of sexual immorality to describe their unfaithfulness to the Lord. Because they were to be what? The Lord's bride. They were to be married to the Lord. And to deserve something else was to be unfaithful. Right? Because we take our vows and we're to be only for that person we're going to take. Right? Huh? Forever. Not another, forsaking all others, I think the vows say, right? And so that's the idea concerning us being his bride as the church and him being our God. We have this relationship that we forsake all others. But when they forsook the Lord for other gods, little G-O-D-S's, they would commit, if you will, harlotry or sexual immorality against the Lord in a spiritual way. 
All right? And so Israel, many times in the Old Testament, they're called adulterous because they were unfaithful to God. And they chose to walk after, serve, and clamor for other gods. They chose idolatry. All right? Even in the book of Hosea, in your Bible, Hosea is a complete picture, an illustrative story of Israel's unfaithfulness to God's faithfulness. Right? Because in the book of Hosea, Hosea is go, spoken to to go and find that woman, Gomer, who was an unfaithful woman, and marry her. And even after he married her, she still had moments of unfaithfulness. But he was told to love her. That was the picture of the nation of Israel and God. God is always faithful to us. We just don't always uphold the faithful in to him. We're like the wandering Gomer that's out doing this and that. Unfaithful, but God's still trying to love us. Still trying to reach out to us. And so that's illustrated in the scripture. Now, here's the thing. And please, I'm not, I'm not here to be rude, crude, or raunchy or anything like this. But G.K. Bill says, when people commit intercourse, whether in marriage or not, they become one. That's what the scripture says. For two saith he shall be one. They become one with whomever they join themselves to. In other words, we become one or identified with whatever we devote ourselves to in that relationship. He says, these two are no longer two now. They're one. And so whenever I commit myself to the Lord, I become identified by him. Anything else I commit myself to in that way of being joined, stuck to, keep company with, I become identified by. That's the word of the Lord. At once in the book of Hosea, Israel's called out for playing the role of the harlot. She's called out for playing the role of the harlot. And then in the very next verse, she is described, this is interesting, you can read it in Hosea 4, verse 16 and 17. In verse 16, she's called out, Hosea, called, it's called out in there, Israel, you're playing the role of the harlot. Then the very next verse, she is described as sliding back as a backsliding heifer or a stubborn heifer, or a stubborn, if you will, cow. So in one mode, she is acting, she is clamoring for other gods, and then she is acting like a backslidden heifer or a stubborn heifer. Now remember, you become what you worship. This Hosea, that really ties us all the way back to Exodus 32, even when they first went down and they begin to worship what? The golden calf. He said, Israel, he said, you shifted your allegiance, you shifted your loyalties, and now you're becoming, you're becoming stuff, stubborn like an old cow. You are, you are mirroring what you're worshiping. You're mirroring what you are revering. And that's not the only time that Israel was the, uh, identified with, with calves or cows because a lot of the foreign gods that they worship had that same type of image of cows or animals or creatures and so on and so forth and so it appears it appears that the way that the idol worshipers come about being like the idols they worshiped is in part because God's judgment against them and just want to stay with me here just for a moment we see in scripture and I said this I think in weeks gone by Whenever Israel began to serve God, say, a Babylonia or Assyria or things like that, God eventually gave the whole nation over to that country. He says, you like that so much? Why don't you go on and live there? I'll let you be taken captive to that land. You can serve and do what you want every day of the week, and you can just be submerged in that. As a side note, Israel really didn't like the 70 years captivity, okay? <laughs> in other words, it was good for a day, but it wasn't good for a life. 
Amen. And so God many times would give the nation of Israel over to the other nations, such as Babylon and such, because they gravitated toward their gods. They gravitated toward their idols. And as a result, they would become like them. But God, in his punishment, it would seem, would cause these people that would gravitate toward these idols, not just to become like them, but would cause them almost to love and do the idolatry that they were involved with more. And it was, in, in a sense, a means of punishment. What I mean is this. Consider these two translations of Job chapter number 8 and verse number 4. Two different translations. I'm reading the first from the New American Standard Bible. It states this. It says, if your sons sinned against him, meaning God, then he turned them over to the power of their wrongdoing. The Amplified Bible reads like this. If your children have sinned against him, speaking of God, then he has handed them over to the power of their transgression and punished them. Now, uh, the writer here who's speaking at this moment is Job, isn't Job. He's trying to use this against Job. There's a lot in Job that doesn't apply to Job because Job was a righteous man and they was trying to make him to be out something different than what he was. But the principle of this is still applying. Amen. It's still valid for those who, might I say, entertain adultery. In other words, the Lord says, I will deliver them over to the power of their transgression. I will deliver them over to the power of their wrongdoing as a means of punishment. In other words, if they like that so much, I'll give them over to it. And the very thing that they thought they would like is going to be the burn in their saddle. It's going to come back around and it's going to punish them. Yeah. Jewish literature, this is early first century A.D., uh, known as the Book of Wisdom. It writes that they might learn that one is punished by the very things by which he sins. Robert McGee, that. Listen, it happens even today. It really does. For instance, take someone that's a gossip, right? Just want to be a good old gossiper. Talk about people. Well, go and let that happen. Because whenever it gets around to the person that was the object of the gossip, they're going to be hurt feelings and perhaps even severed relationships. What happened? Tell you what, you've been turned over to the power of your wrongdoing. There is the law of the harvest that's at work. That's spoken in the New Testament scripture. We will reap what we sow. We will. I'm not saying every account is this, but there's been people, you know, and I've, I've had relatives, you know, that's, that's came forth with certain forms of cancer, but they have done things throughout their lifetime where they have taken advantage of their body with foreign substances that really in many ways the doctors have drawn the line says this cancer is here because of this. You've abused your body with a substance that should never be in your body. What is that? In essence, you're being turned over to the power of your wrongdoing. And it does what? It punishes us. Amen. This is not any better symbolized, shown, but in the Old Testament and all the plagues that were brought up on Egypt when the children of Israel was on the verge of coming out of Egypt. Almost, and I'm just going to share a few of them. We could talk about every one of them. Every plague that was brought up on Egypt, amen, was really against or reflective of a god of Egypt. All right? Some of the idols are the gods of nature that the Egyptians worship. God used to plague them. He turned them over. He turned them over to the power of their wrongdoing. He turned them over to the power of their punishment. The Nile River, remember? The water that was turned to blood. You remember that? The waters, they worshiped the Nile as a god. 
The Egyptians worshipped the Nile as a god. It was called, I think, Happy. Not, not as in happy, but H-A-P-I. <laughs> it was the God. And they worshipped it and they honored it. The very thing they, he says, I'll turn you over to it. And the water became blood. It became a plague unto them. There was a God they worshipped by the name of Heket. It was the God of fertility and water and renewal. Listen to this. The head of this God in image form was the head of a frog. What happened during one of the plagues? Frogs were called out upon the Egyptians. It was in their homes, in their ovens, in their beds. He says, I'll turn you over to the power of your own doing. We go a little further and we read that there was another God by the name of Deb. It was the God for the Egyptians. It was the God of the earth. More, more, more specifically, it was the God of all the dust of the earth. Where was it whenever the plague came forth as lice? Where did it say it came from? It came from the dust. He says, the very thing that you worship, he says, I'm going to cause your punishment. I'm going to turn you over to the power of your transgression. That's just a little bit. They also worship the sun god. It was the god called Ra. You may have even heard of that. The Egyptian god Ra. What happened along the plagues? There were three days and three nights, the Bible says, of gross darkness. Darkness that could even be felt. What did God do? He says, you want to worship that? I'll turn you over to the power of your wrongdoing and your transgression, and it will become your punishment. I could talk about all the others as well in there because they all stem back to something idol God that they worship that was used then to bring, if you will, a plague upon their own lives. God says, I'll deliver you to it. Acts chapter number seven. I got a lot of Bible here today. Acts chapter number seven. And verse number 39. This is in the story of Stephen here prior to him being stoned and Stephen starts way back and he begins to account all these different stories from the Old Testament scripture. And it says in Acts 7 in verse number 30 or verse number 39, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. What, 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 what Stephen is doing here, he is recounting that golden calf story of Exodus 32. Saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. Look at verse 41. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up. Look now. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God, Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Amen. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing that's here within the scripture. He's referring back to the whole golden calf episode, but he goes and talks like this. Since you worship that, since you bowed down to that, since you gave yourself to that, notice verse 42. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. God says, you like that? I'll allow you to be pulled in even further. Oh, God. I, if that's the diet, he says, I'll allow you to be pulled in a little further. Here's the thing. For them, for them, and, and you'll note this, uh, uh, let me find it here just real quick. 
in verse 39, it talks about in their hearts turned back again to Egypt before they ever served an idol or built an idol or bowed down to an idol. In their hearts, they were already turning back to what they'd just been delivered out of. Let me make this statement. Before idolatry will ever manifest itself in the natural, you'll go there in your heart before you ever go there in the physical realm. You'll go there in your heart. And for that matter, when we talk about for today, because we're like, yeah, I don't have a golden calf in my kitchen and there's no totem pole in my backyard. When we talk about then modern-day idolatry, and we'll talk about it here later in just a little bit, the way that we practice modern-day idolatry today isn't so much some physical structure as it is what's taken place, the idols of our heart. Amen. Paul, again, he's referencing the golden calf episode here. But notice what happens in verse 42. God turned and gave them up to worship of the host of heaven. And so what began as honoring the golden calf then resulted in honoring the whole host. Right? The stars, the moon, the planets, whatever they could recognize. They began to honor the whole host of heaven. And they were made to become even more idolatrous. For that matter, the Bible goes on to say that they begin to pay attention to the tabernacle of Molech and the star of their god, Rimthan. They even got deeper. Uh-huh. They got deeper in it. Amen. They made, the Bible even says, they made figures. They made figures to worship. That's what the Bible says in verse 43. They went to the extent they began to make figures to worship. Now, that is one of, listen to me very clearly, that is one of the dangers of idolatry. That's one of the dangers of not remaining faithful to God because if it starts, if it starts, if it gets a foothold, we think we can control it. Amen. But if it starts, what control do you feel you have to determine where it ends? For them, it might be, it's just this golden calf while we're waiting on Moses to come down. Bless God, hallelujah. But that went to serving the whole host of heaven. That went to going to the tabernacle of Molech. That ended up going to the other star of Rephim. That went to the fact that now they're not having someone fashion an idol for them. They're fashioning their own idol. But it all started with a misstep in the wrong direction of idolatry. Amen. And God delivered them then to the power of their transgression. According to Romans chapter number one, and you can look at it there, the first chapter of Romans deals much with the idea and the concept of idolatry. But Romans chapter one is basically telling us this as you begin to read it, that what idolatry does is opens the door to various and all other types of sin. Romans one verse 23, if you will, Speaking along these lines of adultery, speaking to the people that fell to pray to this, says, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, whereof God, here's the terminology again, wherefore God also gave them up. So they changed, they changed the direction of what they were being loyal to God says, okay, I'll give you up to what you're being loyal to now. I'll give you to it. And he gave them up 
to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, notice hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So they exchanged the glory of God into an image of some provided creature. Cows, right? All these different things that they're made of wood and stone. And as a result, God gives them up to their uncleanness. He gives them up to their lust. He gives them up to the desires of their own heart, which we know by nature the desires of our own heart are impure. Jeremiah said it is, it is wicked, right? It's desperately wicked and deceitful, the heart of man who can know it. He said, it's deceitful, it's desperately wicked. We have impure heart from the go. He said, but if you shift your allegiance from the Lord, he's just going to give you over to the desires and the lust of your own hearts. He'll give you up to that. You know, sometimes we're like, you know, Lord, I want this, Lord, I want this, Lord, I want this. God says, like, no, no, no. And we like, Lord, I want what? And then he finally gives it to us, and we're like, I wish I didn't ask that I wanted this. It's kind of the same scenario. No, I don't want this, I want this. Oh, you really don't want this. Oh, yeah, I want this, God. No, I don't want it. Okay, I'll give it to you. I'll give you up to it. God, I really don't want this. It's kind of like hindsight's 2020, isn't it? Once we get in and so deep, it's like, yeah, maybe I should have went with the no. Because sometimes even the very thing that we want comes back to be a punishment to us. Look, if you look at verse 26 there of Romans 1. The Bible goes on to say that God gave them up. There's a lot of giving up that God does after this step in the wrong direction. He gives them up to this thing that they're so, so wanting, so desiring. God gave them up unto vile affections, or if you will, unnatural affections. Note here, this is an important little rule or principle. When we have difficulty in the primary relationship, I'm talking about between us and God. We have difficulty in the primary relationship. He can give us up to difficulty in our other relationships. This was to the, where did it, I know someone's going to say that you're out of your mind. No, this is God's word. It started with the image, but it ended with unnatural affections that a woman was taking a woman in an unnatural way and a man was taking a man in a natural, natural way that they were even taking beasts in unnatural ways. And I'm talking about relationships and sexual encounter. It started with idolatry. Oh, boy. The Bible says later that they were disobedient to their parents. That's a relationship gone bad. Why? Because the primary relationship had went bad. Amen. So really, all these difficult relationships or unnatural relationships in their life are nothing more but reflective of the problem of what is now their unnatural relationship they have with God. They should be having a good relationship with God. All these things are due to idolatry. Due to idolatry, and this is a list, and you can read there in Romans, and I'm just kind of going to hit, 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 okay? Because we can't meander on all these, and we'll never get done. But due to idolatry, and that's what you need to Take this back and circle it to due to idolatry because that was the start of it here in Scripture. God gave them up to these things. This is in Romans 1. He gave them up to things not convenient. It opened the door for all these lists of things idolatry did. Unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, debate, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful. Proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, lacking understanding, covenant breakers, unmerciful, 
Now, that's quite a list. Its origin, idolatry. Shifting our, shifting our loyalty from the Lord. Again, someone might be arguing with me in the back of their head. That's fine, Brother McGee. I don't have wood or stone. I got some gravel in my parking lot, but you know. So how does idolatry translate to New Testament and today? Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 10. I'm heading there as quick as I can. Matthew 13 and verse number 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Verse 11. And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall he shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall it be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seen, see not. What's that sound like? Sounds like from a few weeks ago, if you remember Isaiah 6, he talked about them having eyes and see not. In the Psalms 115, eyes and see not, both the idols and those that worship the idols. He says, because they seen, see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. He said, there's a group of people, guess what? He said, idolatry is still around in the New Testament. They have become just like what they have been worshiping. They have eyes to see not, ears and they hear not. We have idolatry still yet in the New Testament. And in them, verse 14, is fulfilled the prophecy. Look, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which is Isaiah of the Old Testament, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart, important, is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed. They have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them." Jesus calls what was even spoken of in Isaiah chapter 6 a prophecy for his day of having eyes and not seeing the ears not hearing. He said what Isaiah said back then is even a prophecy for my day. What's he saying? He said we're still dealing with idolatry today. We're still dealing with idolatry today. And the idolatry that Jesus was up against majorly in his time in his earthly ministry is that in Jesus' day people worship tradition. Yes. The tradition of man or the tradition of their families. What her mom and dad and grandpa and grandma thought was right, that's what I'm going to do because they did it. Black God, we're going to do it too. They didn't care what God had to say. They didn't care what the Lord had to say. They were just caught up in the tradition, the pattern of doing what has already been done. But again, if that's the case, whatever becomes between you and God is your idol. Their traditions have become their Idols. So Israel vote, they set up gods of wood and gods of stone in high places, but the New Testament Jews set up idols in their hearts. They had regard for some things more than they had regard for God, and they held them dear to themselves in their hearts. You couldn't necessarily maybe see their idol, but they had idols in their hearts. Paul tells us in Colossians 3 and 5 that fornication or immorality, unclean, uncleanness, inordinate affection or affection of our passions, if you will, evil concupiscence, which is a weird word, which just means desires, evil desires and covetousness or greed is idultery. You see that? He said all these things, these, these afflictions of passions, inordinate affections, uncleanness, evil desires, all of that's idultery. And so you're saying, well, I, you don't have wood or stone to point to, but there's things in our heart. There's things in our minds, things in our lives that we give more regard to than what we give God. 
Bible says in Ezekiel 14 and verse 4, Therefore, speaking to them, you can see this in verse 7 as well. Therefore, speaking to them and saying to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel, going back to Israel now, that setteth up his idols, look his word, that setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. He said, Israel, he said, even back then, he said it was a heart issue before it materialized into actual image issue. So this is important then, because here's something we must catch on to. Idolatry then is not a mere matter of external worship, but of internal commitment of our heart. Idolatry is just not an external thing. It can also be an internal thing. The Bible says in Mark 7 and verse 6, he answered and said unto them, well hath Isaiah, which is Isaiah of the Old Testament, prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I told my wife the next day after she got smacked in the mouth with that softball, I said, dear, tomorrow morning you're going to be honoring God with your lips. <laughs> Sorry. For those who don't know, my wife got smacked with a softball. While we were away, and her lips swole up big. And uh, the next day was Sunday, and that's the reason why I said that. I said, you're, you're going to be giving the Lord the fruit of your lips tomorrow morning. I wrote it hard, hung it up, nonetheless. He said, they honor me with their lips. What is that? There's, there's some external worship going on, but idolatry just isn't about the external. It's about commitment of heart. So you can put forth this, this facade of maybe what would assume and appear to be good external worship, but be practicing idolatry. In the heart. Verse 7, he said, How be it in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, that's their traditions, for laying aside, the, they, look what they did, they laid aside the commandment of God. He said, to do what? To hold the tradition of men. As the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do, he said unto them, Full well, you reject the commandment of God. So why? That you might keep your own tradition. Today, idolatry practice, to reject any part of God or his word is to practice idolatry. To neglect the commandment of God to hold your own tradition or your own desire is to commit Idolatry. It's to be, as the phrase often is in the Old Testament, it's to be far from the Lord or to worship his terminology, to worship in vain. Being far from the Lord, worship in vain is all terminology throughout Scripture that is used for idolatry. Look, in Romans 1, the Bible says when they glorified him not as God, they did what? You look at it in verse 21. Became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Because to, glor to not glorify God goes beyond, listen, it goes beyond, well, they're not praising or giving God thanksgiving. To not glorify him goes beyond that. Well, they're not praising and giving God thanksgiving verbally. To glorify not God. It goes beyond that. In other words, what the writer is saying, they did not honor him by mirroring his attributes in their life. 
To not glorify God goes beyond just, well, I didn't, they didn't praise him verbally. No, we glorify him by the way that we live our life. Amen. And so it goes to that point, the way we need to mirror the attributes of God. They didn't glorify, they didn't reflect him. Why? Because they weren't worshiping or walking after him. How in the world could this be possible? Well, whenever you come to the New Testament and they're wanting to crucify the Son of God, <laughs> well, when you want to crucify the very thing that you should be honoring, put to the stake. See, we get things backwards. We're wanting to crucify the thing we should be worshiping and worshiping the things we should be crucifying. Amen. Jesus said the people reject God or the command of God. Why? So that they could keep their own stuff, their own traditions, their own rituals, their own routines. Oh, Lord, I got to tie it up, don't we? Stand with me. I'm saying that with purpose. I got out of hand while we were gone. But that's the way things are out in Nebraska. And service was going on the last night of camp meeting. And they praised and they worshiped and God was moving. And I got the floor. Church started at 730. I got the floor at 9 o'clock. And they wanted preaching. I preached for an hour and 15 minutes hard. And then altar call came. An altar call was going and going, and around 11 o'clock, I thought it was dying down, and about 10 after 8, there's some lady over in the back, sound like she's having labor, and that old war cry, started happening. Around 11.30, me and my wife went on downstairs to eat. After midnight, there's still people up there. So I don't want to give you an hour and 15 minutes, because that's like the first time that's ever happened in the history of my 30-some-odd years of preaching, and I was tired. In 1 Samuel 15, and I'm going to go through this real quick, is an example of this. You'll remember that the Lord told Saul, he saw, I want you to go in. I want you to destroy all the Amalekites, destroy them all, take them all out. What does the Bible say? Saul goes forward. He takes out everything except for some of the best or the choice animals and the king of the Amalekites, Agag. And so whenever Samuel came to visit him, he said, what's going on, Saul? He says, what's that loin of the ox that I hear in the background? He says, well, he said, I kept the best, you know, to offer it to God. I kept the King Agag. And if you remember, Samuel said, he said, Saul, he said, your rebellion is as the spirit of witchcraft. Saul, you're, 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 you're dabbling in witchcraft by practicing your rebellion. This is what God commanded. All of it. This is what God required. But you thought you would keep back what was good so you could offer it unto God. He says, in this sense, he said, your obedience would have been better than your sacrifice. What are you saying? You're drawn. You got all your sacrifices. You're drawn near to me with your mouth. But your heart is far from me. Because the offerings and the sacrifices, listen, those things did not give any delight to the Lord. When they were being given in a disobedient heart. You understand me? And I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude and crude. But here's, 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 here's Saul thinking he's walking the dog. Man, look at these are the best of their oxen. This is the best. And I'm offering them up to God. Ooh, brownie points here, you know. I'm offering up to God. But when you are doing that, and in the moment you are doing that, you have really disobeyed. It's hard for that which you offer to be acceptable when you're walking in a position of disobedience. 
In other words, there's not enough I can do with my lips to make up for the distance that my heart is from him. Amen. So, for that matter, tell me this. If we worship the Lord, and that's all, and that's majorly typified as bowing down to the Lord in Scripture, understanding he's the superior, we're the one that's inferior. Let me ask you this question. How can we truly be in awe? Worship. How can we truly be in awe of a God that we won't obey? You know, it's kind of like our heroes in life. When we're in all of them, it's like they're the best, and man, everything they say is right. And how can you be in all then of something that you won't obey? It's really a conflict, a contradiction that's taking place there. I'll close with these words. So idolatry is closely associated with rejecting God's law, his word, his ordinances. The Bible says this, Ezekiel 20, verse number 16. And I'll just read verse 16. Because they despised my judgments and walked not in my statutes, but polluted my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. And folks, that in part is how idolatry is translated in our day, when our hearts go in directions away from the Lord. Now, I said all that, and this has been like gloom, doom, and despair, Brother McGee, yes. But the whole flip side of all of this is true. If God, through your transgression and desiring other gods, can turn you over to them and cause you to go deeper in them and they would become your punishment. Let me ask you this. What do you think when you have an ardent affection after him? Will he not give you up to more things of him and cause it to become not your affliction or your punishment, but your blessing? You gotta, you gotta walk both sides of this coin. Oh, that's horrible and that's bad. Yes, but when we get it right, it pays dividends back into our life many times over a person that has. If you get hungry for God, He's gonna lead you into deeper places of Himself. Amen. He will lead you into deeper places of himself. And so let us today practice, if you will, serving and honoring God. Yes, in our heart. Yes, in our externals. Yes, in our daily life. And let's leave no foothold. Amen. For idolatry to even begin to start because we want to be conformed into his image and his likeness. Amen. And someday he will call us home and we will be just like him. Can we bow our heads all over this place this morning? God, I love you today. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, over this congregation, Lord, we are men and women, God, that are fallible, Lord, prone to failure and mistake. God, and that some, Lord, place and position in our life, God, we have allowed, Lord, the idea, the concept, the practices of idolatry, no doubt, to have a foothold in our life. But God, every day, every day, Lord, we are trying to turn our attention where our attention needs to be. God, we want to glorify you in our lives. We want to emulate you. We want to imitate you, God, in what we say and what we do, Lord, in our manner of life. I pray, oh God, have, Lord Jesus, full control. Be the master, the Lord, not just the Savior, the master and the Lord of our lives life lead us God into greater things of you and let Lord it come a blessing unto us Lord we would much rather Lord be on the blessing end of God than we would the punishing end of God Lord by being turned over to the things that we have Lord diverted our attention to I pray oh Lord Jesus help us to be the way that you want us to be help us to walk after you and become like you in each and everything that we do and will not fail to thank you and praise you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray Amen and amen. The church say amen.
Amen. Church starts tonight, of course, at 6 o'clock. There's a leadership meeting for those involved in that at 4.30. Sister Sarah and those that are interested in cleaning are room number three right now after this service. Amen. Please shake hands with our guests this morning. Tell them how happy we were that they were in the house of the Lord with us. And we will see you tonight at 6 o'clock. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.